What's up, friend? Welcome to episode 9 of the Stoked EDC podcast. Stoked stands for a seriously tactical obsession, knives and EDC. My name is Zach, and I'll be your guide through conversations and explorations with artists, makers, and collectors. To stay up to date, link up with me on Instagram at stoked underscore EDC underscore podcast. For this episode, I'm joined by the super humble and righteous brother who has been a professional photographer, master glass blower, and is currently a leather artisan crafting all things at Wolf Mountain Leather, Matt Sasha Hess. The episode that follows is only the first part of a few episodes I will be releasing for my conversations with Matt. In this episode, we get a super cool glimpse into the formative creative experiences and art forms that have been crucial to the development of what we now see from Wolf Mountain Leather. Matt is known by many names and titles, husband, father, paintballer. But as a new friend, I can honestly share, Matt embodies that rare breed of souls who clearly balances a thoughtful calmness and passion that develops into mastery with whatever and wherever his creative process leads him. In the episode that follows as part of the Wolf Mountain Leather series, we'll get to hear both more about Matt as well as more details about what he has done and what we can expect from him moving forward. Link up with Wolf Mountain Leather on Instagram at wolf underscore mountain underscore leather. I'm grateful and stoked to have Matt of Wolf Mountain Leather in the house. I'm so stoked you, listening now, are here along for the ride. Hang on and get stoked. We'll begin in just a moment. Dude, we finally hooked up. I know. No worries. Hey, you know, we both have families and kids and all that good stuff. We're both on East Coast time. You're in Asheville? Correct. Asheville's a righteous spot, I hear. Yeah, it's a pretty cool place. It's uh, very open to pretty much everything, uh, except for EDC. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is actually the corporate base for Microtech. Cool, I see. Uh, yeah, if you actually like wanted to go into a Microtech store, or wanted to go to the place where Microtech actually makes their knives. It's actually here in Asheville, North Carolina. That's cool. It's not something they uh, put out there a lot just because they don't want to be bothered, but that is where it is. They only opened the store, actually, I think it was right before COVID, and I just never got a chance to go. Um, The factory is not really a walk-in place, maybe if you had like an appointment or something. I remember doing that with a Spiderco location that was just outside of Boulder, Colorado. And when I first got there, that was like, other than getting up into the hills, that was my, that was one of my first stops was going to Spiderco and getting a blade from, from their factory there. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> first of all, thank you so much for making yourself available for me to ask you a bunch of questions. I, I wasn't on social media for that long before I found a couple people, including yourself. One of the first things that I got from you was one of your big Reaper patches, one of the big like pyramid type designs. But word on the street is you were one of the dudes that pretty much wrote the textbook on 
glass work and fumed glass. Is this true? Uh, yeah, that's actually all true. <laughs> uh, it's definitely my pleasure to be on this. Uh, when you reached out to me and let me know that this was going to happen, I was extremely excited about it. Uh, it's definitely a something that needs to be covered that wasn't being covered in the community, especially the EDC community, the maker community. Um, I think a lot of topics could be talked about. Um, as for uh, the Reaper patch, yeah, the, that was something uh, I wanted to do early on when I first started doing my patchwork, um, which was actually pushed onto me. I don't want to say push, but it was suggested to me by one of my longtime customers that I start making patches. And I first made him a few patches uh, custom just for him. And once he got those patches and had them for a while and he said they were great and they were holding up, everything was perfect. I went ahead and started making other patches for people to purchase. Uh, as for my glass blowing, I blew glass for 21 years. When I first fell in love with glass blowing, it was because of silver and gold fume work, which a lot of people know as color changing glass and a few other names. But what it really is, is 0.99 silver and gold that you have heated up and vaporized into a gas. And then that gas sticks onto the clear borosilicate glass that we work with. Um, and once that metal is trapped with another layer of clear, um, if you know what you're doing with upon heating it and heating it over and over again, letting it cool, um, you can actually get every color of the rainbow pretty much with just silver. And uh, this takes masterful, masterful work, a lot of time and experimentation. Uh, there's still a lot of glass blowers out there now doing fume work that are extremely good at it. At one time, I wrote articles uh, with other people and articles by myself on fume work. Last I heard, uh, the Corning Museum was using, was using a article that I wrote with another uh, glass blower friend of mine that's also great at fume work. Uh, they use the article that him and I wrote together to teach their students in Corning how to fume. So that was a huge honor. In my fuming days, I had the pleasure of meeting Paul Troutman. He opened and created the first borosilicate colors and the first borosilicate color company. Uh, the company he created is called Tag Troutman Art Glass. I got in speak speaking with him one day. Uh, about fume work and I told him that I could get every color of the rainbow with silver and he was pretty blown away with that so him and I uh, we kind of set off on experimenting on all these no uh, new colors he had already come up with and all these colors had a very high content of silver inside of the glass so I started doing experiments with these glass uh, the glasses that he was making they didn't have names yet they just had numbers like six, five, four, three, and two. And when I called back to give my input on all these different colors, I gave them names because I couldn't remember the six, five, four, three, and two, whatever the heck it was. So um, the last color that I did the experiments on for them, I called it oil slick. And I called it oil slick because just when you looked at the color, it, you seem to see that rainbow of colors you would see when you look down on the ground, on the pavement, and you see that black puddle 
and the the sun reflecting in it, the colors that are created. That's what it looked like to me. And uh, so when I called back, I said, you know, oil slick, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's doing great. I haven't had any problems, no cracking issues. The colors come out great. Give them my feedback. Uh, they called me back about a week later and said, hey, we want to go ahead and name that last color after you and call it Sasha's oil slick. And I was extremely blown away by that. Still honored by it. As far as I know, there's maybe four or five other glass floors in existence with colors named after them. So it, it's it's still a huge honor, and I still have glass floors uh, contact me all the time to get the story behind it and even information on how to work the color better for uh, their use. Um, so yeah, it was definitely a very very fun experience for me. Amazing. So what you're talking about with glass blowing, I don't know anything about glass blowing. How did you get interested and then start learning how to work with glass? As a young child, I was able to go to Disney World almost every year. Um, my parents made it a mission to work hard every year and save up for us to at least go to Disney for a week, you know, the area for a week, Orlando for a week in, in Florida. And over those years, they had a glass blower in one of those shops that makes all the Mickey Mouse figurines and the castle and the animals and all that. And my mom always wanted to go into that store and look at all the pretty shiny glass. And I always, went, I always walked in with her and I would watch the person blow glass. And over the years, I just thought it was so fascinating that they could take a rod of glass or a tube of glass and stretch that out and make it into a bird or a Mickey Mouse or whatever they were making at the time. And then they would add color to it and that just blew me away. And then they would, sometimes they would uh, gold paint and coat the glass with actual gold, painted gold leaf. And that was just, uh, it was just so amazing to me. And over the years, it was always in the back of my head the art form of it I always just thought it was amazing that they were mostly making animals I've always been an animal person I absolutely love animals um it's probably why I named my company after a wolf I've always had a, a huge affinity for wolves I always felt like if I had a life before this one I was definitely a wolf but anyway back to glass blowing I first found out about it like I said at Disney World and through the years it was just always in the back of my head that I wanted to do that at some point in my life and the first art form I found was photography I did photography for almost 20 years uh, professionally I did stock photography which is basically a bank of photography where you call into this bank and say hey I need pictures that look like this for my business. And then we either rent you or sell you those pictures for your business. So in that 20 years, I photographed pretty much everything you can think of. I've probably taken a picture of it. Most of it was on location. I did four by five cameras, 120 cameras, 35 millimeter cameras. I've done all the darkroom stuff, you know, all the strobes, the hot lights, the gels, the filters. You know, I, I knew all that stuff by heart way before digital ever happened. And once digital happened is actually what started my glass blowing adventure. 
once digital photography came out, I knew that in some way it might ruin what I loved about the darkroom for traditional photography. Um, and when that happened, I took it upon myself to get all the glass blowing gear um, that was needed to blow glass in my garage. And there's two basic kinds of blowing glass. You're blowing glass on a torch, just a torch, or you're blowing glass with a glory hole or uh, what they call cold glass. And you've probably seen that on TV where they take the big pipe, they put it into the furnace, they get the glass out, and then they blow through the pipe and they'll shape it with uh, newspaper and wooden tools and things of that nature. Um, whereas what I did, I did on a torch by myself. And normally when you're doing the glory hole work, you need a team, two to three people. And I wanted a art form that I could do by myself. And I remember back to those guys at Disney World or ladies in Disney World that were blowing glass by themselves in this little tiny bench. And I said, hey, I think I can do that in my garage by myself. And I set out to buy one little piece at a time, one tool at a time, the torch, the kiln, the glasses, all that stuff. Saved up over the years. And once I had it all, um, at the time, YouTube didn't exist. You couldn't go and watch videos on it or even how to figure out how to hook the torch up so over time i found a few glass blowers and i was able to find i think one book or two books that were enough to get me to hook up the torch correctly and not blow up my home because you are working with oxygen and propane and it's basically a bomb if you don't do it correctly and have flashback arresters concrete board and things of that nature, you will burn down and nobody wants that. So that's basically how I got started. It got started as a hobby for me in the background while I was still doing my professional photography. And over the years, 9-11 um, happened and it pretty much destroyed the company that I worked for at the time. Their base was in New York City. Um, but the place that I worked for was in Jacksonville, Florida, and that was their headquarters was in Jacksonville, Florida, but our main distribution center was in New York. And when 9-11 happened, it, it really hurt the business. And we went from 200 phone calls a day to two phone calls a day. And it was, it put a big hurting on the business at the time. And pretty much everyone got laid off or fired. And when that happened, I decided to step up my glass blowing game and see if I could make it on my own as a glass blower. Around that same time I met my wife and she was completely behind me being a full-time artist and pushing myself in that way to make it. And that's what we did. Ever since then, I have been a full-time artist until I had my daughter. Now, I've, now I'm a full-time daddy and a part-time artist. But that's the best thing that's ever happened in my life. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy being a dad and having my time with my daughter. Super cool to hear this progression of being in a family that makes sacrifices and saves to get to Disney World every year. And you and your mom have this incredible shared experience with the glass blowers. Yep. And then to hear about this trajectory that you've been on where it always blows me away when I talk to you makers, the people that are actually 
taking things out of the ether, these ideas, these inspirations, and then actually fabricating something in reality. It blows my mind. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's crazy how sometimes those ideas come about. Uh, a lot of times when I'm sleeping, I will wake up and write something down, an idea or an image or a technique. Um, I figure a lot of things out in the shower. Funny enough, I don't know why. <laughs> I guess it's just because it's peaceful and you're not really thinking of anything else important at the time. So there's been times where I've had to call my wife, you know, come, and, come into the bathroom and, and draw this thing for me while I'm still in the shower so I don't forget. But yeah, I used to have idea pads everywhere. Um, and that was especially for my glass blowing because at the time, figuring out glass blowing techniques uh, was literally tr a trial and error. I mean, that's, that's the only way you could do it unless you directly knew another glass blower. I mean, that was it. That was the only way to learn it was to do it yourself or to directly know another one. There was no book to teach you. It was, it was still way too new. I think when I started, there was maybe 20 colors in the palette, maybe 30. And now there's four real color companies and multiple small ones. And there's thousands and thousands of colors to choose from. So getting in on a, on a new art form was epic to me. I mean, and I had been looking uh, as a photographer for a long time, been looking uh, for a different new art form that I wanted to try and do and really uh, progress and get behind. And I looked for many, many years, uh, knife making. I looked at painting, drawing, uh, printing t-shirts. I, I, had, I had all kinds of things that I thought about doing. Getting the photography was probably the first one that got ironed out for me that I really, this is for me. I'm going to do this. I'm going to stick behind this. And when I found glass blowing, it just, it clicked for me. Uh, I can create anything I want in my garage, in my own time. And it can be small. It can be big. It can be colorful. It can be crazy. It can be stupid. It can be whatever I want. And if it's functional, even better. You get into the functional side of, of art glass. Um, whereas you're, you're talking about pipes or you're talking about bowls or, or dishes or, or goblets or pendants. There's a lot of different functional types of glass. And when you get into that area of glass blowing, there's other reasons people want it, not just for the beauty of it, not just because it's a sparkly pretty thing, which everybody loves sparkly pretty things. <laughs> That's been around for forever. Um, and getting back to the newness of glass blowing, the torch work, if you, if you really look at how long painting has been around, drawing has been around, sculpture, all those mediums have been around for thousands of years. We're talking before Egyptian times. That's epic to come up and, and with a new art form that's still growing today. Um, that people are still coming up with new techniques, new forms, new everything. It's, it's amazing to me. Um, I did have to get out of glass blowing because of my daughter being born, but I do still pay attention to it. And I think it'll always be a part of me. Um, I always help when people contact me about my color or about fume work. I'm still considered by many to be top 10 in the world. I don't consider myself that because I'm just, 
I'm just not that kind of person. I just love doing it. And I love to get the reaction that people get from it. I loved the feedback that I got from people. That's what drove me to keep doing it more and more and more and doing it for 21 years. Blowing glass is not an easy job. My face was a foot and a half from a 4,000 degree flame. You're basically talking about a lightsaber. If I ran my hand or finger or any part of my body through that flame, it's game over. It's straight to the hospital. Um, I have friends that drove glass rods through their arms. I have friends that blew up glass in the kiln because they didn't pop a hole in it and the pressure built up inside the glass piece and blew up. And they had glass, hot glass stuck all inside of them. It's a very, very dangerous job. Um, people are like, oh, you're a glass blower. That must be the funnest, easiest thing ever. Well, you try it and see if you think it's easy. 90% of the people I've seen try it for the first time, throw the stuff on the bench and, and walk away. They either get way too frustrated or way too hot. Because you will get very, very, very sweaty and hot. It's just the nature of the animal, the nature of the game. I just got over the heat. I, to me, the creation part of it was worth it. It was worth it for me to be standing in a puddle of my own sweat. I just got over it. I uh, I learned different ways to try to keep my body cool and just keep going, keep going. And it's the kind of art form where you stay stand in one place for eight hours at a time. You don't start and stop. There's none of that. If you can picture trying to keep honey on a pencil, try to rotate that pencil and keep honey on it. That's what blowing glass is like with a 4,000 degree flame right in front of your face. It's pretty epic. <laughs> And once you contain that flame and understand the rules of glass blowing, the rules of borosilicate glass, which is what you use on the torch, it's also, um, I'm sure you've heard of Pyrex. Pyrex is a brand of borosilicate glass. Borosilicate glass is actually what's used in scientific labs, like beakers and things of that nature. And the reason that glass is used is because it's extremely strong it in its liquid state is actually stronger than steel let that blow your mind for a second i'll re-say that borosilicate glass we're talking about sand here borosilicate glass in a liquid state is stronger than steel wrap your mind around that yeah then i was putting silver and gold inside of that and that would blow people's minds even more when i would actually explain the scientific parts of glass blowing to them and how I was getting real gold and real silver on the inside of glass. And then I, you know, I would make a two inch marble and all the colors on the inside of the marble. So their question always was, well, how did you get it in there? How did you get to the core of a solid piece of glass? That's the fun part about glass blowing is figuring all that out figuring out all the different techniques and all the different rules and how to bend those rules to get things done. It's, it still blows my mind even today. And I never got tired of it. Did you ever have the recognition while you were doing it or did it come afterwards when you would think back on it and recall some of what you've done? Sure. Did you know that you were actively engaged as an alchemist? Absolutely. Um, my wife, uh, when we met, she was heavily into pottery. 
And the glaze for pottery is all alchemist. I mean, it's all natural elements. It's all, you know, cobalt and things from the earth. Glass is exact same thing. All the colors you, you see in glass work all come from the same colors you see in ceramics. The person I mentioned earlier, Paul Troutman, that uh, named that color after me, he was a ceramist major before he started his glass company. And that's how he knew what colors needed to go in glass blowing to make the colors he wanted. So uh, yeah, I, I did. I didn't start glass blowing in that way. I started glass blowing as a fun adventure for me to experiment with color, really. And and color to me in glass blowing was amazing because you could come up with almost any pattern that you wanted to, as long as you were willing to take the time to make it. Why color? Why why has color been an interest of yours? Everyone has their own favorite color, you know what I mean? And color is so, one of my favorite lines from one of uh, Jack White's songs is, there's so many shades of black. And that's so so true. If you look at black, it's almost never just black. There's a base to that black. It'll have a green base, a blue base, a purple base. And that's exactly how glass blowing was. All of our blacks, and still do, have a color tint to them. And that's just the nature of the glass. That's the nature of colors. Um, You know, you start talking about uh, Rorgy Biv and, you know, the colors that are needed to create all colors. Uh, cyan, magenta, and yellow, black and white. Um, I printed t-shirts in high school where we created every color with just cyan, red, yellow, a black shirt, a white shirt, or a black and white ink. And with just those five colors, you could print anything. You could print, and that blew me away. That blew me away that with five colors, you can print any t-shirt in any color, in any pattern. And I just that was insane to me. I was I was already into painting and drawing and playing with colors in that way and seeing, you know, how you put red and blue together, that makes purple. That's crazy. I mean, like when you're a kid and you figure that out, it's nuts. And as I got older, I guess just that feeling never faded for me. And and colors to me have always been important, especially in my photography. Um, I always wanted those colors to look how they look to me in life translation to the final project, whether it be a slide or a book cover or a billboard. I wanted my colors and the sharpness to be perfect. I wanted the, the framing of the picture to be perfect, the angles. I, I didn't want it to be a boring picture that you know you just see flipping through the basic JCPenney catalog. I wanted all of my pictures to be unique. The same thing with when I got into my glass blowing, I never wanted to make production pieces. I wanted to get right into it and make one-of-a-kind pieces, which, of course, didn't happen. <laughs> you have to start at the bottom to make it to the top. And I did plenty of production work. I made thousands and thousands of production items, all by hand, one at a time. But I always made each one of them the tiniest bit different. And I did it on purpose because, to me, I wanted each person to have something that was unique to them. I didn't want 10 people, 20 people, 50 people all having the exact same item. That's boring. It's not only boring for me, it's boring to them. You know, they can say, if they ever bought a piece from me, I have a one of a kind from Sasha Hess. 
And to me, that, that, that meant the most to me. And when those people contact me and they tell me how much they love this and their friends love it and they'll never get rid of it and they cherish it, that's the, that's the feedback that, I, that kept me going over the years for sure. Will you share where you're from? And then how do you think about the eras in terms of growing up, getting into photography and glass work, and then where you're at now? Do you think of those in terms of like years or decades? Do you think of them in terms of geographic locations? That is a great question. Because um, I have lived uh, in Florida, in Oregon, and now in North Carolina. And all of that um, definitely had to do with my, my work, and my work is being art. I pretty much have always done art. As long as I can remember, I, I either did painting or drawing or something of that nature. Uh, my parents always let me pursue whatever art form I wanted to, and that was always extremely important to me. I grew up in Jacksonville, Florida. I lived there for 27 years, I believe. I was heavily into skateboarding, surfing, the life you think a Florida boy would lead, lead at that age. Uh, I'm 47 now. I just turned 47. I had a birthday a few days ago. I'm very proud of that era we grew up in art-wise. Uh, the style behind the skateboarding graphics, surfing graphics. There's certain brands that always pop out to me, like Rusty and Oakley. Paprolta, Smith, yeah, you know what I'm talking about, buddy. Us uh, old school skaters, we all kind of have almost the same outlook on life. We live it rough, but at the same time, we still have a plan. We still have an art form and something we want to be good at. And I see that lacking a lot today in kids, unfortunately. You know, kids growing up today, a lot of them are in that. I'm a hustler thing. And, and that didn't exist really when I was growing up. Growing up to me was wanting to do a good job and having your, the people you worked with or your dad or your mom saying, hey, you did a good job. You deserve a raise. That to me was being a hustler, I guess, of today. Today, everyone wants to do the least work possible and make the most money. That's not how I grew up. That's not how my parents taught me. To me, you had to bust your butt every day to do what you wanted to do. If you wanted to make it on your own as a maker, as an artist, it was almost impossible. It's way easier today with social media and YouTube. You can pretty much figure out any medium if you stay on YouTube long enough. Glass blowing, uh, leather work, Whatever you want to learn, it's on there. A lot of the leather things that I do now, I learned from watching a video and adapted to how I do things and how I make things. Not to how that person did it, but I might have taken a technique of theirs, an idea of theirs, and made it my own. There's a way more what I call biting today than I've ever seen in the past of other people's ideas, their techniques, everything in. To me, that just is a cheesy way out. Have your own imagination, your own ideas. It'll mean so much to you in the long run. When you're gone from this world, you want to be remembered by those cool things that you created. 
that you came up with. You don't want to be known as that person that stole ideas and stole other people's memories and everything else. That's, that's not how you want to be remembered. It's amazing to hear your background. So you were in, you're from Jacksonville, Florida. You were there for about 27 years. Yep. What was going on in Oregon? When I moved to Oregon is when my glass career really blew up. Um, pretty much right when I moved is when I got the color named after me. Um, Oregon is a glass mecca. Um, that's where a lot of the best uh, pipe makers in the world live. Um, same thing with Cali. It's all in that area. There's just there's so many good glass floors, so many good people to learn from. And at the time when I lived in Florida, there wasn't that many people to learn from. And I got invited by a bunch of glass floors to move out there. And they, you know, were nice enough to be like, hey, when you move here, you know, we'll show you around, you know, we'll introduce you to the right people, we'll show you where to get oxygen and propane. And they pretty much just took care of me when I first got out there. And uh, that was my wife and I. And we stayed out there for three years. And then uh, I did everything that I kind of wanted to accomplish in glass blowing. Um, and I also uh, had an injury that I had to get um, surgery for that took me out of glass blowing for almost two years. Um, I had to have neck surgery, and now I'm permanently part of the Titanium Club. So uh, when that happened, um, at the time, I was having a lot of pain in my neck. And when I went and had an MRI done, they found that I had pieces of my spinal cord, or excuse me, my spinal column line laying on my spinal cord. So they said I could have just had a simple trip and fall and the bones could have cut my spinal cord and I would have been paralyzed for life. So I had an emergency surgery and having that surgery probably saved my life in a lot of ways because of the deterioration I had in my spine and my neck. Um, but at the same time, it completely killed my progression as a glassblower. I had kind of built up this plateau of writing these articles and having my work sell for more and more and more money and having the color named after me. Things were going great in glass. I couldn't have asked for anything more. And then this medical thing hit me with my neck. And once that happened, I couldn't blow glass for two years. And with it being such a new art form, with me not making anything for almost two years, I lost all my progression. I almost went backwards. And after that two years, I did get back into blowing glass. But being off for two years, it's not like a bicycle. It's something that you need to do regularly to stay good at. And I never, I never quite got back to who I was as a glass blower after I was injured. I just, I couldn't deal with the weight anymore. The weight would get too much for me over time and I would be in too much pain and I just couldn't do it. And that's another reason I switched to uh, leather work. The two main reasons being my medical issues I had with glass blowing and my daughter being born. Uh, those two things combined made me quit glass blowing and decide to be, become a leather worker because leather work is something I can start and stop at any time and watch my daughter and take care of my daughter anytime I need to. And that's what's most important to me is taking care of my daughter and my family. I've got two pieces from you on my sling. Beauties. <laughs> yeah, first, 
I believe the first thing I ever got from you. Yeah. And then sure. the, this is the this is one of those XL Reapers. Yeah, yeah. I hand dye each one of those. Anything, anytime I say it's a one-off, it is literally a one-off. It's something that I hand painted, I hand dyed, I hand stitched. Everything is done by hand, so there's not going to be another one like it. Yeah, when I pull out when I pull out this extra large Reaper, my family now knows that something serious is happening <laughs> because it's 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 unmistakable. You know, it's yeah. it's it's easily the largest patch that I own. And yeah, it's probably the biggest one I'll ever do, to be honest. And uh, when I decided to do the Reaper, I wanted to do it that big. I actually have two different sizes and I do the bigger one more often just because to me, I think, you know, death is a big deal. Everyone's going to die one day and everybody needs to be reminded of that. I see way too much of this YOLO crap, um, which I think is ridiculous, um, only people that say stuff like the, that don't know what real pain feels like. Because if they knew what the what they were doing to their bodies when they're going to feel 40, 50, 60, 70 years old, they would wish they probably never did it. And I'm not going to say that I, I, I didn't hurt myself skateboarding or surfing or any of those things, but I loved it. And I loved doing it for years and years and years and years. It's something I'll never forget and I'll never be upset that I did it. But these people that are risking their lives to do something for an Instagram video to me is just pointless and an insult to the human race, really. <laughs> I mean, you're not valuing your life and your parents who put you here on this earth and you're going to risk your life just for an Instagram video and someone to hit a like button it just doesn't make sense to me. With that in mind, working towards becoming a glass blower, working with this alchemical process, and developing into the skill set that you had, mastery. Then you've got emergency surgery, and there's this shift that's taking place. How does working with leather come up and out of that? Another great, great question. You really don't suck at this. Well, <laughs> well, I never, like I said, I never got back to where I wanted as a glass blower after my injury. And honestly, over a time. And I know this happens to a lot of makers. Uh, I had a heavy depression. I had a heavy depression come over me because I wasn't able to produce the things that I wanted to produce. I wasn't able to make. And, and that's who I am. That's what I am. I'm a maker. If you know me personally, you know that I'm a maker. It's who I am. It's what I do. Um, it's what I think about any time that I'm not thinking about my family. I'm thinking about the next next project or how I can make something better or how I can collaborate with another maker that I enjoy. I thoroughly enjoy collaborating, especially with other makers that, that their work is I respect or I respect them as a person. Thank you, Matt, for sharing with me some of the experiences and perspectives that have contributed to shaping who you are now as a father husband and bro. Thank you, Charlie of Pondium Arts for the stoked logo and helping fuel the stoke. Thank you, Rich Patitucci for the jazzy riffs heard at the beginning and ending of the stoked EDC audio cast. Thank you for listening. And until next time, stay stoked. <laughs>